Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. I'm your host, Charlie Wright, and today is April 10th, 2015, and we're very pleased to have with us David McIlvaney of McIlvaney Financial Group out of Durango, Colorado, and it's from there that David speaks to us today. David, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Charlie, great, great to be with you today. So, David, let's begin with uh, some of your background and tell us about your firm. Yeah, well, the family has been um, doing Wall Street-related things for a long, long time. We are a second-generation family business, and uh, my dad started in the business um, in the late 60s. And one of the things that he was addressing at the time was a future problem. And that's really been sort of our disposition is to look ahead and look and see what needs to be surmised uh, and appreciated, not in the present tense, but what is around the corner. In, in the late 60s and early 70s, he was working for a firm that did a lot of municipal bond underwriting, and the clients of the firm had a growing concern about the guns and butter policies of the day and what the ultimate inflationary consequences would be. They didn't have inflation at the time, but there was a concern amongst intelligent investors that on the horizon there would be. And, and it really was just a, a, a common sense approach. You can't spend money that you don't have, and if you're going to begin to spend money that you don't have, there's going to be a market consequence to that. So gold was something that was very interesting to my father at the time, and he began to introduce the idea to clients. And that started one of our two businesses, which was our precious metals brokerage business. Been in the business since 1972. And our asset management company, it's almost like an offense and a defensive team. Who do you need on the field at a particular point in time? Um, the defensive coordinator helps to make sure that there aren't points scored against you. The offensive coordinator is trying to put points on the board, and between our wealth management team, which is proactively, conservatively looking to put points on the board, and the defensive team, that is the precious metals company, that component, we feel like it's a good mix and match to, to offer for a client. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, very few uh, asset management or wealth advisory firms uh, have taken that uh, bifurcated approach here. Has it worked well for your clients? It's worked very well. I mean, there's there's periods of time where you find dominant growth. And, you know, just to look back at the last decade, decade and a half, gold did very well at 300, 350% returns. Uh, and, and that's assuming the correction that we've seen in the price of gold. Um, it was actually closer to uh, six or seven hundred percent returns from you know two hundred and fifty dollars an ounce all the way to nineteen hundred. And this was an environment of low real rates of return, 
within within the stock market. So gold did what it normally does in periods of low real rate of return uh, for equities or, or fixed income. Gold tends to, to outperform. In the last five or six years, uh, clearly uh, the stock market has outperformed, um, and, and gold hasn't done as well. So uh, we do we do think that the combination uh, that approach is is very help, healthy and helpful. Now, for both of those, do you work only directly with the public, or do you work with other advisors for either one of them? Uh, we do work with other advisors as well, uh, so with the public and with advisors. Being in the precious metals business, uh, we, we started out as a, a wholesale business dealing with the financial service community, and we still fulfill that wholesale function, uh, although we do have uh, direct retail clients as well. So um, it's, it's both and. Okay. And then according to uh, your website that I've been on, and the place I spent the most time here, is you also have a commentary service. You know, and this is a family tradition, too. My dad started writing a newsletter 40 years ago and, on a monthly basis, wanted to communicate sort of a snapshot of what was happening in the world and what the implications were, sort of across fields that that would be across the, the his interests in geopolitics and, politi- and, and local politics and, and, and finance and economics. How did those coalesce into the markets? Um, and that's what we do through our weekly commentary, uh, which is which is an audio commentary. You mentioned at McIlvaney.com, uh, listeners join us each week for uh, again kind of a bird's eye view what's happening in the world and what the implications of that are. And uh, from the the things I listen to, uh, you guys do an excellent job, and you seem to have, uh, really enjoy doing it. Thanks, Charlie. It is a lot of fun. It's it's an ongoing process for us, and it introduces a discipline for us into um, kind of our continuing education, if you will. Because, of course, there's mysteries in the marketplace which we don't fully understand. And being able to reach outside of our company to experts, whether it's central bankers across the pond here in the United States, uh, lawyers, professional investors, politicians, we we are in search of the truth and and continue to seek it wherever it may be found. So what what we do in the commentary adds some structure to that process and that pursuit. And what is it in the firm that you're doing? Has your father retired and have you taken over as CEO of the whole firm or do you actually meet with clients? I know you do the commentary part. What roles do you play in the firm here, David? Yeah, you know, with a, with a family-run business, uh, what roles you play, uh, you, you chief cook and bottle washer, it's, it's kind of everything. Um, yes, I'm CEO of, the, of both firms, and my father, although uh, retired from daily management, still writes our monthly newsletter, which I mentioned uh, earlier, um, now, now over 40 years in the writing. And so his contribution um, is, is, is fantastic and vital. He just has less of the details to be concerned with now. Okay. And so tell us, uh, l- l- let's start with the, uh, with the precious metals part. Do you get involved with more than gold? Do you do copper and silver and other things? Do you do that through ETFs or do you do it through the hard metals themselves, uh, storage, etc.? How do you handle that? But again, we have two separate companies, and one will tend to look at sort of synthetic investments or proxies, if you will. That's the wealth management business. And so things like ETFs uh, would, would, would be appropriate. On the precious metal side, the physical metals are the priority. And, and that's because one of the reasons why someone would own precious metals 
would be to fulfill an insurance mandate. And and what I mean by that is if you have volatility in the stock market, if you have a volatility in the underlying currency, whether that's the U.S. dollar, the yen, uh, the renminbi, what have you, gold has served as a healthy offset to that kind of volatility. And so loss of purchasing power in, in a currency uh, or market volatility, you want to remove as much risk as you can from the equation. The reason why physical metals are a better fit for that insurance mandate is because you are put in the position of control as an investor over custodianship and, and over counterparty risk. And those are things that are hard to come by today. I mean, if, if you look at your traditional managed account, uh, like we have, separately managed accounts, uh, or many others in the universe, whether it's a hedge fund or, or what have you, who holds the assets exactly? Where are they? What institutions are you having to put confidence and reliance in, in terms of their solvency, for you to get your money back? And there, you'll find two, three, five, ten layers of counterparty exposure and risk in the financial markets. The beauty of gold and silver is that you remove completely. When you're talking about physical metals, you remove completely uh, custodial and counterparty risk, which we think is even more important today than it was in 2008. Okay, so your clients actually can take uh, physical possession, or you can arrange for storage of the physical gold, silver, or whatever, huh? That's right, and, and that's one of the other things that's nice about gold. In an era where a U.S. person is being cut out of the financial system globally, um, I, I mean, and, and this this is this is by both experience and anecdote from clients. If you wanted to open up a brokerage account or a bank account in, let's say, the city of London or in Japan or Singapore or Buenos Aires, or wherever it may be, you're going to find doors closed on you because you are a U.S. person. Because now the reporting and require, compliance and reporting regimen that, that is, has been put on those financial institutions is so onerous that they simply would rather say no to the client relationship simply on the basis of you being an American. So one of the nice things about precious metals is that it, it, it is not a formal financial account as with a brokerage or banking account and you can have a financial asset other places in the world and we like that geographic diversification so yep we can arrange storage um, in lots of places around the world Um, that's metals that you can go buy and pick up that's metals that you can um, have liquidated on site it's metals that you can ultimately have repatriated if you want it back in the united states Um, having been in the business for 40 years uh, we have pretty amazing contacts around the world and and offer that as as sort of an extension uh, and a value-added service to our clients. Um, What they want, what they need, we can certainly provide. And so uh, if an investment advisor were working with uh, a client and that client wanted that specific service, uh, most investment advisors typically are not even going to know where to go for that. Uh, Can they contact your firm and work something out and have that uh, benefit provided for their client? Well, that's right. That's what we've done for, I would say, our roster today is about a 1,000 um, of different uh, financial firms across the country. So this is, this is you know, medium-sized firms that might have, you know, three to 5,000 brokers working for them, or down to, you know, the single-family office or, or financial advisor that has, a, a, you know, a handful of, of clients. Um, we, we work with over a 1,000 financial advisors and firms uh, across the country today. Well, that's very interesting. I, uh, I'm not aware of others who do that, so I, I, I don't think that there's a whole lot of competition <laughs> for you in, in that regard here. 
And Charlie, remember, we had a first mover advantage. We got into the business in 1972, which was three years before it was legal to own gold. The, the exemptions, if you go back to the 1933 laws, which made it illegal to own gold, where you had to either be dealing with rare coins, which, quite frankly, were not in our bailiwick, or you had to be dealing with religious articles. And, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not into religious relics per se. But, you know, in the 1970s, my parents came across an artist in Texas who made one and two ounce religious medallions and so we're talking about you know a 24 ounce 24 carat coin which has you know a, a biblical scene on it let's say it was um, yeah, Moses holding back the Red Sea or or, or, or Jesus feeding the 5,000 or you know, different things like that and because there was a religious motif it was legal according to the 1933 rules. So we were actually in the bullion business three years before it was legal to own bullion, and, and that, that, that is what gave us so many of the contacts within the financial community, because there was all kinds of firms that wanted, and their clients were demanding to own physical gold uh, instead of a proxy for gold, like a, you know, a gold share, for, for instance. Uh, a, or a gold mine, which which would be higher risk than the physical metals, and so we were able to provide millions of dollars in gold, uh, you know, at thirty five dollars an ounce, to the financial community and to their their clients, um, starting in nineteen seventy two. Well, that is very interesting. Again, that's uh, I, I find that to be rare in the financial industry. David Holder right there. We need to stop and take a quick break here. We're talking with David McIlvaney of McIlvaney Financial Group out of Durango, Colorado. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. And now back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. We're talking with David McIlvaney of McIlvaney Financial Group out of Durango, Colorado. And we've heard so far that that McIlvaney Financial Group has three particular services. The first that we've talked about so far is the precious metals business. Uh, Next is the wealth management services. And then third is the commentary services. So let's focus for a minute here, David, on the wealth management services. How, How well, what are the strategies that you use to manage people's money? Well, I, you know, I would describe us as contrarian, but not for the sake of being contrarian. I, I think it is that when, when, when we can align ourselves with a traditional Wall Street investment, we will. But there are many things that are, that are held to be sort of the ways that you do business on Wall Street that only work periodically and, and fare, fail miserably in, in certain circumstances. So we'd like to, to think that we keep our eyes, ears, and minds open to when things are, are out of whack 
uh, and, and risks are particularly heightened. I'll just give you an example. You know, Dow theory is something that was created by Charles Dow, original author of and editor of the, the, the Wall Street Journal. He created the two indexes that we know best as uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average and the Dow Jones Transportation Average. And, and he was uh, always saying that when dividend yields are between 5 and 7%, um, stocks are probably a good value and should be bought. And if, if dividend yields are, are, are in the 2 to 3% range, what that is an indication of is, is that you're in a very richly priced market, and that's really not the time that you should be buying. You look at that today and you say, well, gosh, if you could get 2 or 3%, wouldn't that be great? We're in a zero interest rate environment. You're lucky enough if you get 2 or 3% on a dividend yield or a fixed income yield. And, and, and with, histori- with a historical reference, you see that actually you're, you're buying high. That traditional adage of buy low and sell high, you'd be doing the wrong thing right now. Other measures, of course, that would support that, a cyclically adjusted price-earnings ratio, which is a 10-year rolling average of, of, of a price-earnings multiple, um, smooths out volatility in the number. We're at 27. Now, there's only two other times in the last 100 years where it's been higher, the year 2000 and the year 1929. And to us, again, it's an indication that perhaps things are a little stretched on the upside. Now, that's not to say that prices can't go higher in the Dow and the S&P, but for the value investor, you're not really finding much in terms of, of, of value today. So we would suggest on the wealth management side, even though our, our, our mandate is growth, um, you know, we're aggressively moving up our cash allocations because we don't see very much that represents um, reasonable reasonable risk for the reward on offer. We really don't think there's going to be much reward on offer. And what reward we've seen the last couple of years has been fairly artificial in nature, driven by central bank policies, not organic growth in the economy. So where are the risks? You know, this is a part of our our, our management function. Um, Yes, we're interested in reward, but you've got to identify those areas of risk and those areas that can set you back considerably. So, you know, we look at the bond market and think it's an artificial market today. It's not a real market. It's not real buyers and sellers. Last year, the Federal Reserve bought um, close to 80% of all new issued treasuries. That's not normal. That's not normal. Today, the Federal Reserve owns 40% of the total stock of treasuries. That's not normal. Last year, the Fed our central bank bought 100% of the mortgage-backed securities market, new-issued mortgage-backed securities. That's not normal. When you look at the bond market, all you can say is that prices don't reflect reality. They reflect an extreme of market intervention. And maybe that can continue, but we suspect that it won't last forever. And so what does that have us do in terms of driving home conclusions? Well, if we have a fixed income exposure in the portfolio today, we're going to shorten up the duration. We're going to keep it very short term. Uh, and try to eliminate as much of our bond exposure as possible. Again, raise cash, shorten duration, limit the exposures that you have in the equity market simply because, look, you've got 120, 125 companies in the S&P 500 which trade at a price-earnings multiple, not the CAPE, but a normal price-earnings multiple, 2015 earnings, of, of 25 or greater. That, that's, that's not a good value. It's not a good value. We're there as a consequence of funny money. And so if, on the other hand, we had strong structural economic growth as a driver, we'd be much more enthusiastic about putting capital to work in the equities market today. 
but it's funny money. And, 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 and I don't know. I, I, I think if you back away and, and, and put this in terms that kids would understand, how is it that monopoly money can drive a healthy economy? You could ask a sixth grader if that's really reasonable, and I think they'd say, well, that doesn't make sense. But, but most of your Wall Street managers to say, today don't even have the common sense of a sixth grader. <laughs> well, I certainly understand that. And, uh, David, I have to hand it to you. You have very, very articulately pointed out the flaws in the, in the markets today and the challenge and uh, why people should not be in a buy-and-hold attitude here with uh, the, especially their equity investments. Uh, you, you, you've identified the flaws and the difficulties and the challenges. However, you haven't given us good places to put our money. Um, you know, cash certainly is a place for some of it, but not all of it. Short-duration bonds today are paying typically under 2%. So where can we go? Uh, can, should we go to China? Should we go to emerging markets over Overseas, um, should we go to the real estate market? Where do we go to possibly get some growth? You know, this is one of the most awkward periods of time for an investor in in, in probably thirty, forty years, maybe even longer than that. Because Charlie, you know, we we should be focused more of the uh, of, uh, on this on this on this one thing: return of our capital instead of return on our capital. And 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 the reason I say that is because. With the Federal Reserve, with the European Central Bank, with the Bank of Japan being so influential in all market prices today, whether it's stocks, bonds, real estate, you have to understand what they're doing can't be a permanent state of affairs, which also means that the pricing in all of those categories, stocks, bonds, real estate, can't be a permanent state of affairs. When you look at real estate... Yes, the cost of capital is very important to the direction in terms of the price of that particular asset. And so if the cost of capital is low, typically the price is very high, very similar to what you have in the bond market. Real estate and bonds mirror each other in that respect. The cost of capital is a main driver in terms of the value of the asset itself. And yet you find the same thing in the stock market, too, where as the cost of capital has come down, Asset prices have gone bonkers in the stock market as well. And, and, and actually, a number of companies that should have gone under a long time ago, they're still around because the cost of capital is so cheap. We, we've already done this in Japan. The fact that we're just now doing it and experimenting with it in the United States, it's really no different than what's already been experimented with in Japan. You end up with zombie banks, zombie companies, and, and what it ends up doing is stifling a natural process of growth in the economy where you have companies that do fail. And the beauty of failure in the business community is that a better business will come along and take its place and thrive. But if that failure is not allowed to occur, guess what happens? The better business can't come in and compete with the existing business, which is essentially on a cheap money subsidy. You see? So the fact that central banks today are controlling asset prices in almost every category, we are left with very few reasonable choices in terms of investment. I do like cash, but I have to tell you, I also hate cash, because to, to put a large percentage of your assets in a cash position is to, to turn to the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, headed by Janet Yellen, and say, will you manage this for me? And I have to be honest, the 100-year track record of the Federal Reserve started in 2013. It's not a pretty picture. 
they have destroyed the value of the dollar. And to put your savings in the hand of our central bank, it's, it's foolishness. On the other hand, you do maintain liquidity, and there are other advantages to having a cash position. I would just say this. For the dollars that you have in greenback form, you should have a position in gold and silver that offsets the exposure that you have through mismanagement by the central bank. So yes, a balance between cash and gold. That's a part of the, that's a part of the picture. You know, David, your, your, your view on the economy has been uh, echoed uh, by uh, many of our guests over the past weeks, uh, many of them and all of which have been in the financial industry uh, uh, and typically managing money. Uh, they, they have echoed those same views on the, certainly the, uh, the central, uh, central bankers, both U.S. and, and uh, Europe, and on the whole, uh, the whole market system these days. And uh, what you're saying is not out of line with what we're hearing from so many managers today. Uh, no question about it. You know, Charlie, the, the unfortunate thing is that very few individual investors are doing anything about it, and very few people on Wall Street are doing anything about it, even if they know better, because they fear they will lose their jobs if they do the right thing. You may know this story, but Jeremy Grantham, in the year 1999, started moving his clients to cash because he thought that things were overpriced in, 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 in the world of technology. Do you know that in the year 2000, he lost 65% of his assets under management? His clients left him, not because he lost money, but because he underperformed the market. No, this is very important because what it suggests for an asset manager is you have, even if you know better, you have to stay with it. You have to stay fully invested in equities, come hell or high water, because you will lose your job or you'll lose your client base if you don't. It's better, this is the judgment of Wall Street, not mine, but the judgment of Wall Street is it's better to lose money like everyone else than somehow swim against the stream and be wrong for a certain period of time, if only later to be proven right. And of course, Jeremy Grantham was right to be pulling money out of the stock market and moving it to cash, but he paid a high price for it. A lot of those assets came back to him in 2002 and three and four. But this is, this is the plight of Wall Street. Nobody's doing what's obvious. You should be moving to cash. You should be owning gold. You should be doing a number of things that are sort of de-risking in your portfolio. But you know what it takes? It takes courage. It takes the willingness to step out and do something that doesn't have the support of your broker or, or, or the investment community as a whole. You can turn on CNBC or Bloomberg, and you're not going to be affirmed in, in the decision to do something different. Uh, never have been, never will be. But I'll tell you, the best money that's made on Wall Street is taking a different approach. Same David, approach is thinking for yourself. Thinking for yourself. No arguments here. Uh, you, you make a very compelling case here. But before we close, I want to get to your commentary service. Quickly tell us about it, will you? At McIlvany.com, we've done this weekly for uh, over seven years now. And it's a great resource uh, for people who want kind of a bird's eye view, 30 minutes, 40 minutes of what the key issues are uh, driving the markets in that particular week, in this particular environment. And, you know, we've had a variety of, of, of uh, professional investors on, policymakers on, authors, economists, central bankers. And if there is a question that we think is the question to be asking, and we don't have the answer for it, we're more than happy to reach outside uh, and bring in those resources. So, McIlvaney.com, MC, 
A-L-V-A-N-Y.com. It's a free commentary. Uh, and I would encourage, if your listeners are interested, uh, tune in on Wednesdays. That's when each new edition airs. Um, or sign up and we'll send you an email once a week just as a reminder uh, that, that, it's, that it's, it's been recently published. And they can capture it on, on podcasts and listen to it at their leisure, correct? They can listen to it. They can, watch, they can listen to it on YouTube. They can subscribe to it on iTunes. They can go to our website. Um, but if they go to McIlvaney.com and, and, and sign up, that's, uh, that's the easiest way for them to, for them to track it. And I, I can confirm that uh, these are excellent uh, interviews and commentaries. I've listened to a couple of them in preparation for this today. And uh, very, very interesting and um, did, did not want it to stop here. So you're being congratulated for what you do. So, David, tell us a question we always like to ask is, what keeps you awake at night in regards to the markets? What keeps me awake at night today is uh, really what I consider to be a ticking time bomb in the stock market. Everyone uses the stock market as a litmus for health in the economy. And we have two things that I think I think represent unknowns. What are the consequences of an unwind in margin debt in the U.S. stock market? We've got better than $450 billion of borrowed money that's in the stock market today as a percentage of stock market capitalization. And in total nominal terms, it's the highest we've ever seen, more than 29, more than the year 2000, more than the year 2007. So speculative money in the stock market is at record highs. That's worrying to me. But the other thing that really keeps me concerned is the amount of derivative exposure we have in the financial market today. After 2008, 2009, there was a lot of bank lending that did not recover, and a lot of that went into what's known as the shadow banking arena. It's better than $25 trillion in loans and, 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 and exposure that are in that shadow banking arena. Now, everyone's very confident on Wall Street that no problems will arise there because it's all been hedged, it's all been insured, it's all protected in the derivatives market. And, and I think this 600 to $700 trillion derivatives market is something that no one really has their arms around. And I think that all you need for an avalanche is a trigger. And you've got the environment for an avalanche in the derivatives market. And I think you've got your trigger in the margin debt statistics, which will be unwound this year or next. Well, uh, you know, we appreciate that input. It's <laughs> certainly disconcerting and, uh, and negative, but then we hope that it is not accurate. But it is something that we certainly should be aware of and, uh, and concerned about, no question. Uh, tell us next uh, question we always like to ask. What book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? <laughs> oh my word! I I, I turned and I, which bookshelf should I reach to? Um, there are so many that are are worth reading. What is one? What is one? You know, I think for someone who just wants to understand how the stock market works, um, you could go back to what I mentioned earlier in the in the show uh, on Dow theory. Um, if, if Charles Dow has anything to say about the stock market, and he certainly did as one of the original editors of the Wall Street Journal, then I think familiarizing yourself with the functions of the market is really important. And you could do that through Robert Rea's book called The Dow Theory. William Peter Hamilton also wrote a book called The Stock Market Barometer, and, and he was a protege of Robert Rea, um, kind of an, an updated version. And these both learned everything that they knew from, from Charles Dow. Um, you know, oh goodness, where 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 do we begin or end the list? 
The Mind of Wall Street uh, by Leon Levy, Money of the Mind by James Grant, um, The Dollar Crisis by Richard Duncan. Yeah, I, 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 I don't. It, it really depends on what someone's interest is. Is it is it investing? Is it market dynamics? Is it the monetary system? Is it is it how the world of interest rates works? The beauty of the financial world is that you could be reading a book on psychology, and it is just as relevant to the financial markets as uh, you know John Bogle's book on investing. You, if you have an interest, politics, public policy, international politics. It all ties into the financial markets. And my encouragement to anyone who's listening is, is whatever your interest is, where, where you have a bit of curiosity, find a book there, and you're going to find cross-application into the world of finance and investing. Uh, those were some excellent recommendations and ones we have not heard before uh, from uh, previous guests here, David. So I can tell you a well-read guy, and we appreciate you sharing those insights with us. So final comments to our listeners before we have to close off here, David. You know, we look at things from a long-term perspective, and, and although some of my comments may have been negative, I'd have to say I am the optimist in the family. And, and, and that's in part because we see market history as very cyclical in nature. And, and the worse things get in terms of overvaluation, the sooner we are going to experience a period of undervaluation. Now, that means for someone who's a long-only investor, the buy-and-hold investor, they're on the edge of, of, of financial destruction, quite frankly. But for someone who is engaged in this process, sees the cycles within the marketplace, and is willing to say, yeah, as, I, as I suggested earlier, lower your duration in the bond market, raise cash, hedge that cash position with gold and silver, a variety of these kinds of strategies, what you're doing is putting assets in a protected place, which will be there for you to put to work for you, I think at market values of 20, 30, 40 cents on the dollar. That's not bad news. That's very good news. That's how investors have made considerable amounts of money through time. You look at 1932 to 1937, an excellent time to be coming into the market. You look at 1949 in the U.S. stock market. You look at 1982. When the stock market was on its back, if you had liquid assets, gold, silver, cash, to be able to invest at those moments, it was a generational game changer. And I'm very excited about that. I think that's what we have in our future. But it does mean that we probably have a rocky road between here and there. And I think that's going to be over the next 24 to 36 months. So battening down the hatches is not a bad news bear story. It's actually just a constructive way of preserving family wealth through what we consider to be a natural, natural period of decline. David, very, very well stated, and uh, I'd like to make a recording of that and uh, send it out to some people I know who could definitely uh, use hearing that here. We've been talking with David McIlvaney, does that spelled M-C-A-L-V-A-N-Y, of McIlvaney Financial Group out of Durango, Colorado. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we wish you happy and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC. 
an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. PartnerVest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security.